Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Across the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station, and or translator. Good morning. How are you? Uh, it is the Michael Duke Show. It is the Thursday edition of the program, and we are ready to go. We're ready. We're lo- we're locked and loaded. We're locked and loaded for today. We got a big show lined up for you, and uh, we are. Uh, I'm pretty excited about it. Quite honestly, it's going to be a good discussion. I think anyway. Uh, as we go through this morning, so today uh, we're going to we're going to hit on a couple of uh, we're going to hit on a couple of headlines that um, are kind of eye opening, and uh, then we're going to dive into it uh, with uh, Ben Carpenter, Representative Ben Carpenter uh, from down there uh, on the peninsula, and we're going to talk with him about his. Um, his comments during the presser on Monday, which were, uh, I think, very interesting because, again, it uh, shows a confidence and also maybe a little bit of a strategy here to how on how and try to to how and try to deal. Let me start this again to try and deal with and how to deal with a uh, the PFD in the future. And I think that's going to be um, I think that's going to be a good discussion with Ben Carpenter. Then in hour two, we're going to talk with Representative Julie. I'm going to I'm going to butcher this Columbia. Um, and we're going to talk with her uh, about the latest budget that she has put out um, as the chair of the Department of Education and Early Development Committee. And specifically, I want to talk to her about the uh, I want to talk to her about these ghost positions, because as we reported yesterday, uh, her committee uh, eliminated a couple positions. And what struck me about those uh, about that position, the cutting that part of the budget was that uh, she said that um she, she said that these two positions, it was $400,000 for two librarians at the State Library in Juneau. And she said she likes libraries, but those positions have been vacant for years. And that just really struck a chord with me because we've talked about this in the past. These, these uh, you know, what we were calling ghost positions. Essentially, they were funded but not filled. And many of them have been unfilled for years, yet the money still goes to the department in that amount, and it becomes kind of this quasi slush fund that they can do things with. Even, I mean, even it's it's crazy, it's crazy. So we're going to talk with Julie uh, Columbia about that uh, here in hour two on the program, 
and uh, we'll see what uh, we'll see what she has to say. And and we haven't visited with her. Uh, she's a brand new legislator. Um, I went back and I don't think we've ever I don't think we've ever interviewed her. So this should be a fun get to know you kind of thing uh, with Julie and kind of get a feel for where she's at and what's happening in the legislature. And uh, it's uh, it's it's going to be it's going to be interesting stuff. Um, so we're ready to, uh, we're ready to rock and roll and, uh, we're going to be, uh, <clears throat> we're going to be moving forward. Um, and I guess that's, uh, there we go. Okay. I think, I think we've got it. I think we are all ready here to start. Whoa. I just started something that I wasn't supposed to. Okay. So let's uh, quickly here, before we jump into this with Ben Carpenter, we got about six, seven minutes here. Um, there's a couple st- <laughs> Couple of headlines that that caught my eye. Just a couple of headlines that caught my eye. First and foremost, uh, there's a good piece by Yareth Rosen over at the Alaska Beacon. <clears throat> I mean, credit where credits due. Um, I I mean I I'm usually chastising the news coverage on many things from all the outlets because it just doesn't seem like you know we're getting a lot of information, but. Uh, Yareth Rosen over at the Alaska Beacon has got a great article talking specifically about the Willow Oil Project and the fact that it's going to cost us uh, some money uh, in the short term. Um, it is, uh, and this is what Keith Lee and I were talking about um, on Tuesday, uh, that because of the uh, ability to defer taxation or to write certain portions of taxation off on the Willow Project, on some of their other projects, uh, we are going to lose uh, about $160 million a year in revenues. That's just going to, it's just going to go away. They say $1.64 billion, according to the analysis from Bill Walker's, this is back in November of, 18, of 2018, uh, when Bill Walker was governor, they released an analysis to legislators that calculated over a 10-year period the state would lose about $1.64 billion through the development of Willow. Uh, So those numbers may change, but estimate that we're going to lose probably more than $100 million a year in revenue for a period of time over 10 years. Uh, They said the first time the estimates are that the first time that they would actually see a positive uh, uptick in uh, cash flow would probably be uh, 2035. So 12, 12 years um, from now. And then, then it would produce from 2035 through 2050. So, uh, and it would generate about $5.4 billion in state revenue over, over its lifetime. This is all from that analysis. So, uh, you know, we, we're going to lose out a little bit on the front end and we're going to make something on the back end, but this is not the... This is not the instant fix that I think many people expect or assume that it's going to be. Now, that being said, it is going to be good for um, employment and other things that trickle down for many other um, <clears throat> many other components of it. There still be more workers building and operating it. There'll be more oil in the in the pipeline. Um, they'll you know it'll extend the life of the pipeline for that. It will 
you know, hopefully stop or stymie some of the decline in oil production that we've seen. So there's some positives to Willow. But again, we should always be going into these things eyes wide open, understanding that this is not the panacea or the magic bullet that I think many people think it is because they don't understand that Willow is on federal lands. It's not on Alaska state land. And so we don't receive uh, the royalties and the revenues on that. We benefit from the uh, we you know greatly we we benefit from uh, the economic development component of it where we have to build out to it we have to run it we have to put, employ Alaskans to do that that's how we benefit uh, and again I think this reinforces what Brad was saying uh, earlier that we need to immediately now pivot on our support to Pika which is on Alaska land and we would see <clears throat> a much more immediate benefit. In that, but this is an interesting article over at the Alaska Beacon, um, and they actually have reposted it. <laughs> of course, they have at the ADN. Um, so, Willow Oil Project expected to cost Alaska Treasury more than it brings in during the early years is the name of the story. So, go check it out. Then I saw this story, um, and I must say that. Um, well, actually, let me go to this one first. Uh, Alaska legislators are again on track to ignore the 90-day session imposed by voters. Of course they are, because, uh, you know, half the time I feel like I can feel those guys down in Juneau just giving me the finger from 1,500 miles away. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, you want us to be done in 90 days? Here's what I have to say to you, buddy. That's kind of what I feel like sometimes. 17 years ago, Alaska voters narrowly approved a ballot measure setting a 90-day limit for legislative sessions. Only four times since then have lawmakers finished their work in 90 days or fewer, and in one of those four years, they immediately went into a special session. In all other years since then, the session has lasted longer than 90 days, and they're already, they're, they're already saying it's not going to happen. Uh, we're already halfway through 121 days. We've got a lot to do on these big issues, so no, we're not going to be getting out in 90 days, said Senate President. Gary Stevens. He says, I think there's no doubt in my mind that we'll be here through 121. I mean, just ignore the will of the people. Court rulings have upheld the ability of the legislature to work to the constitutional limit, saying that guideline takes precedence over the one imposed by the ballot measure. Uh, Matt Clayman, to his credit, has proposed a constitutional amendment this year that would require the legislature to abide by a 90-day limit, and he has done that as well in the past. It's just never gone anywhere. All right. Final story before we go to break and we pick up things with Ben Carpenter. The new, the, the new Alaska State Officers' Compensation Commission, and by new, I don't even know if I mentioned this, but on Tuesday, the governor basically... Everybody resigned on this commission. Remember two, a week ago, 10 days ago, the Senate, uh, Gary Stevens said, we're not accepting any of these things because they're not increasing the legislator's salary. We're not going to increase the governor's salary. We're not going to increase the commissioner's salary. We're not going to do anything because this committee just keeps bringing the wrong thing back. Well, on Tuesday, the governor, uh, or uh, Monday or Tuesday, the governor basically, two of them resigned and the governor basically uh, removed them from their positions on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, then, apparently, new commissioners were brought in. <laughs> new commissioners were brought in by the governor, by Gary Stevens, and by Kathy Tilton, because the Senate majority and the Senate and the House majority both got to pick one person for them. 
And then they immediately called a meeting after apparently waiving the 20-day, the requirement for 20-day notification and held a meeting on Wednesday where they unanimously increased legislator salaries from $50,000 a year to $84,000 a year and did not touch the per diem. So on top of that, uh, the $307 per day tax-free per diem would add roughly $37,000 per year for legislators who can claim them during an entire 121-day session. So 84,000 plus 30, 124 plus seven, $133,000 if they took per diem for every day of the session and the new thing, and they passed it unanimously. Now, I got some questions about this. I got some questions about the rapidity and the speed. I mean, first of all, they just, they waived, they just waived their, they just waived the need for a 20-day notice on any of these things. And um, they waived the rule that requires them to notice meetings 20 days before they're held, allowing them to amend the previous commissioner's recommendations immediately. Um, and uh, the the chair of the committee, when questioned by the uh, uh, by Sean McGuire and Iris Samuels from the ADN, you got to just you just got to read this article. It is just my my head is kind of spinning over what exactly just happened. Surprise, surprise, surprise! Eighty four thousand dollars plus thirty seven thousand dollars in per diem potentially for each one of the legislators. And I'm not saying that we didn't need to address, take a look at this and discuss it, but my God, all the legis- all the all the committee members are gone by Tuesday afternoon and on Wednesday the new committee votes for a new bill. That's a new uh, for a new uh, option. That's wow. That's all. I just got to say wow. And then I say it backwards. Wow. All right. So um Talk amongst yourselves on that one for a little bit. Just talk amongst yourselves. We'll return in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio. Ben Carpenter, our guest, up next. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back with more right after this. What is that? Common Sense. Regularly heard on American radio. Well, I obviously am in the is am in the wrong line of work. <laughs> That's all I can say right now. I'm in the wrong line of work. Hundred and thirty thousand dollars a year <clears throat> to you know work really hard for four months and then part-time for the rest of the year to make $137,000 a year, $33,000 a year. I'm all about that. I'm sign me up. How do I do it? Um all right, let's let's go over here and check the uh and check I don't have the temperament to be a legislator. They drag the sergeant at arms would drag me off in handcuffs at some point for bitch slapping somebody. All right, let's uh go over here to the uh let's go over here to the uh green room and pull Ben Carpenter out of the uh out of the ether and get ready to go. Good morning, my friend. How are you this morning? Good morning, sir. Can you hear me well? Uh you're a little quiet there. 
I'll have to figure that out then. Okay. Well, let me see how much I can. Let me see how much I can turn you up from my end. Oh, I could turn you up some from my end. Let's try that again. Try that again. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Okay. All right. So. We, we plugged in a different microphone to see if it oh, would whoa. help. There you go. You found the button, whatever you just did. And all of a sudden you were. Well, I'll leave it there then. Yeah, you were cl- you were clear for a minute. So we're good to go. As long as we're not feeding back my own my own voice into the microphone, we're good. Uh, so how you been, my friend? How's, how's, how's tricks down there? It's good. We're having fun. Lots to do. Yeah, lots to do. Lots of, lots of heavy lift things. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what, what's going on with those shenanigans on the legislator pay. I, I, I don't know anything about it. It seems like uh, premature to be talking about giving us raises when we haven't solved any problems yet. You think? I mean, well, again, the whole thing of you're fired next morning. Oh, look, here's our new plan. I'm like, what the what? And how and how can they? I mean, this is a public meeting. I mean, this is an this is a I mean, this is a whole thing on the Alaska Open Meetings Act. You can't just wave your 20 day note. I mean, let's just wave the notice. Okay. Uh, sounds good. Let's go. What? I, I know that a pay raise is a priority of some members of the other body. And I don't share that. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I could use the money, but I, I put it to good use. Yeah. I don't think that it's the appropriate time to have that conversation. Let's, let's do what we came down here to do. Let's solve some of the problems, and then we can say, hey, we've earned our pay. Just from an optic standpoint, I think that that would be the last thing that you would take care of at the very end of the session, right? <laughs> I mean, you do everything you could do to make everything right, and then you'd be like, okay, well, we worked hard, so now we can spend a day talking about this and getting the thing. And, oh, no, I mean, 12 hours after everybody's gone, we brought somebody new in, and they've got a new plan. I mean, yeah. well, wow. If 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 uh, obstruction and, and um, distraction is the name of the game for some people, this is a great distraction, right? Let's talk about legislator pay instead of the important things that we need to be talking about. Oh, that's true. That's true. Uh, I just had to laugh because somebody apparently didn't get all the playbook because you, the questions that were asked from the committee members and some of the, and they're like, I don't know how I came up with that idea. I don't know. I don't know where I got that number or that. I have no idea. Maybe somebody, maybe I read it somewhere. I mean, this is something he actually said. Maybe I read it somewhere in the thing. I'm just like, oh, man, there's some. Uh, real- don't ask me. I don't know either. Yeah, no, there's some real puppeteering going on somewhere in there. It's a, it's an interesting deal. All right. Well, Ben, hold the line. Let's, uh, we're going to, oh, no, we're still, I don't know what's going on in my thing here. Hold on a second. Um, Cause we still got. Okay. All right. We still got uh, a minute. So I want to talk to you, obviously, about the presser. Uh, There was that interesting tweet from Landfield, which I think the first time I read it, I misunderstood actually what he said, or maybe I just jumped to a conclusion. And then I read it again. And then I'm like, I need more context. And so then I went and actually watched the presser and watched your response and Kathy uh, Tilton's response. And I thought, well, that makes a lot more sense. Um, and I think that even his takeaway from it was not exactly, I think he and I both misunderstood to begin with until we, I got it all in context. So I want to talk about the PFD and how important it is. But at the same time, what you're saying is we need to kind of just focus on the budget and ignore the PFD for now because of good reason. I mean, the the economy. Check your your email. I've got a, a, an image there. I'd like to use. All right, here we go. Here we go.
Okay, welcome back to the program. We're continuing now uh, with Representative Ben Carpenter. He starts with us today. Uh, yesterday, you know, we had uh, some analysis and some discussion um, on um, on what was happening uh, with the PFD. They had a press conference on Monday, and during that press conference, um, there was, uh, you know, there was a, a discussion and a question from uh, Jeff Landfield about the PFD. And when I first read the tweet on it, I was a little confused, but once I got it in context, I was a little bit, uh, I was a little bit, uh, I felt a little bit better about it uh, because Landfield said, asked about the size of the dividend and how the public hasn't been as concerned with the amount as in the past years, Representative Carpenter gave an interesting answer. He said, we should be more concerned about the economy than fighting over the PFD, much different tone than in the past. And that immediately made me go, what? Uh, I want to, and, but in context, it makes sense. So we're going to talk with Representative Ben Carpenter about that. And he is with us uh, right now. Good morning, Ben. How are you? How are things going? I'm doing very well. Good. Um, So uh, I guess, like I said, uh, like I said uh, during the break, I had to see this in context before I really understand what it was that you were saying and then understand that you've got, um, you know, you've got a couple different bills in the, in the Ways and Means Committee that are dealing with the PFD. And your your whole focus here has been what we talked about, that holistic approach um, that, uh, that, the, that, the, uh, uh, that the working group, fiscal policy working group came up with that basically says we got to deal with everything all at once. So don't focus on just one thing. Is that what you're kind of saying in this uh, when you were talking about this on uh, – uh, at the press conference, that this is again kind of that holistic approach to everything. Um, not exactly. Okay. So, uh, well, and, but I do believe that that's part of the part of the solution is to focus on this on a on a holistic level. But um, if you check your email, there's an image there that might be helpful with this. It's from a um, presentation last night at Ways and Means. Okay. We we're talking about education, and my comment to the the question from uh, Jeff Landfield. And I appreciate him highlighting the uh, the press conference. I'm I'm glad that people could go and listen to the press conference as opposed to just judging off off the tweet. But um, we've got seven bills that deal with the PFD in ways and means. I've I've collected them. That's where we intentionally wanted them to go. So that represents seven different thoughts on how what to do with the PFD. Right. That's the level or the the yeah the the level of um, non-agreement on what we should be doing. My point was, instead of talking about how much we're going to get on a PFD, we should be talking about how we're going to grow our economy. And, and in the context of what a, what a PFD does to our economy. And this slide is a busy slide, but it, and it talks about um, increasing spending or higher spending doesn't necessarily um, equate to better outcomes within our, our education system. But I want to highlight the, the diagram shows uh, and focus on the color of the diagram. So uh, down in the bottom right-hand corner, you see the uh, economic disadvantaged uh, scale um, that goes from green to red. And then you see all the circles representing the different um, schools within the state of Alaska. And what's really key is that your low-income, uh, economically disadvantaged low performing schools are in your bottom right hand corner of the quadrant and the higher income uh, sorry less economically disadvantaged families 
and higher performing schools exist in the upper left-hand quadrant. So as we're talking about putting money towards the school system, that's not solving anything because what's really at play here is econo economics. So your bottom right-hand quadrant with those, with those schools, those represent families that don't have a whole lot of economic options. So as we're looking at trying to solve the, uh, the economy problem, education is part of that. And I wanna highlight that if, if you would just focus on growing the state's economy, it's going to help solve some of the problems that we're recognizing and that we're trying to throw government solutions at and more government money at. But what we really need to be talking about is what do we do to set conditions for economic growth within the state? And to the extent that a PFD can help with the economic growth of our, of our economy where people have jobs and earn a living, then that's what we should be discussing with the PFD, not how do we throw more government money at a problem to solve it. It, it isn't the government that's going to solve this problem. It is a growth and, a, and an increase in our, in our economy and where our family has more money to spend. This graph demonstrates that very well to me. Well, and if, yeah, I mean, when you look at it again, and for those of you on the radio, I apologize, you'll have to go back out and, and uh, take a look at the podcast, or maybe Representative Carpenter could post this up on his Facebook page. But this graph, uh, you know, basically uh, on the right-hand side in the lower quadrant is all the economically disadvantaged. It's also on, this, on the score line for the amount of money spent on a per-student basis. And we're talking about the worst educational outcomes in the most economically disadvantaged communities still taking the most money 35 and 40 thousand dollars per pupil will more money fix that i i mean I, I again the argument would be i don't necessarily think that more money if, if you're already spending forty thousand dollars a student how is spending more going to fix it there's something fundamentally flawed in there so I'm just trying to get us to a point where we stop talking about government solutions and start talking about free market economic solutions where people can take care of themselves. This is, this is the crux of the problem down here is that we don't talk about that. We just talk about what we need to do with the funds that we have available to us and what government solutions are going to solve the problems. And that is fundamentally flawed. Right. So that's, what I, that's why I responded to, to um, Landfield the way I did is that I want to stop talking about the how much we need to pay in a dividend every year, because it's not talking about what we need to be talking about, which is economic growth. Um, and and I think I, I mean, I agree with you. Uh, I agree with you. Uh, ben. I think that this is the, the look at the more, again, kind of that holistic approach of uh, of, you know, what is the overall economy doing? We need to quit looking to the government for and this is what we talked about with representative with uh, Senator uh, Rob Myers was when we achieve that disconnect between the public sector and the private sector. When the public sector has to, doesn't have to pay attention to the private sector at all, that's how we've gotten things so out of control uh, on this, right? I mean, we've got to look to that holistic a uh, attitude of we've, we're conjoined, one needs to drive the other, they cannot operate in a vacuum. That's right, and we, we've got one cash cow. We've got a state government funding system that's largely tied to one cash cow, which is our, our oil industry, right? And, and to the extent that our oil industry is going to fluctuate over time and, and the political um, environment means really that it's, it's, it's challenged to grow like it has in the past. So if you're looking for the Alaska economy to grow based on oil and gas development, that's not a very good bet to make. So where can we grow our economy with other 
within other sectors, right? That's the focus that that we should be doing. And how can government get out of the way to enable that to happen? Like we've got the the fourth highest corporate income tax. It's like nine percent for the right. highest gradu- uh, graduated portion of the of the corporate income tax. Well, that's not an incentive to come to Alaska and do business. Right. That's the opposite. That, that's like a wet blanket on any incentive to to do no, business. We were kind of making the joke yesterday that here we are, the 49th state. Not just the 49th state is in the number of states, but 49th in education, 49th in business environment, 49th in – I mean, you could just tick off the boxes like we're at the bottom of the pile as far as attractiveness for many, many reasons. And the answer – obviously cannot continue to, I mean, the answer that they've continued to try and throw at it is, oh, this more government spend, this will do it. We'll create jobs. We'll do this. We'll do that. But that's obviously not working. I mean, we had the largest budget in state history last year, still not fixing anything. Yeah. The other, the only other long-term plan that's at play right now is some members believe that we just need to fund state government from our permanent fund earnings. And that presents some some issues. As you've seen from this this year, um, we've had high inflation and we've had low returns. We're likely to have high inflation next year and we're likely to have some low returns next year. We are rapidly approaching a point with a 5% market value draw structure of how we're going to spend the earnings from the permanent fund, where if you've got two or three years of high inflation and low returns and a 5% market value draw, in order to, to draw to pay either a dividend or money going to the state, you're going to pull money from the corpus after the ERA balance is gone. You're going to pull money from the corpus to do either of those two things. No, exactly. And that's the problem because then you're eating the seed corn, right? That's exactly it. Yeah, you're eating the seed corn at that point. And there's a whole, like you said, there's a whole cadre out there who have been talking about that rubbing their hands together with a pie in the sky. We can't wait for the permanent fund to hit $100 million because then we can, well, now it has to be 110 or 115. It's, it's, just, a, it's uh, just as risky as oil yeah, money. Exactly. So we need to be, we need to shift away from talking about being on a, a one trick pony and look for more ponies in the stable. Yeah. We need a growing economy in different sectors. And how do you tie that to the spending of the state government because then the, go- the government cares that that part of the economy grows. Right. And so just to clarify, we need to be concerned about the economy rather than fighting over the PFD. But that doesn't mean that the PFD is not important to you or the majority. I mean, I think that was That's the correct. Yeah, I think I, I my, think my personal take is that that money that gets uh, distributed out of the permanent fund earnings, the more of it that goes into the private sector, the more small businesses benefit from that. Yeah. Yes, there's a certain amount of waste, but there's a certain amount of waste in government spending as well. Well, the, the point the point is is that to the extent we've got a political solution to get the PFD football out of the out of the picture every year, we just the government just pays the dividend like it did in the past, then we can move on to other conversations. But it it sucks the oxygen out of the room, and and prevents us from having the other um, more important conversations like what do we do to get the economy growing? Right. Well, you've got. You've got some people on your staff who understand how money turns in an economy, right? I mean, yes. so we know that money in a private economy turns six, seven, eight times. We know that money that goes into the public, that money that's spent by the government versus the private sector, it turns less than one time in the economy. So, of course, the PFD is important to the economics of it, but it's just a part. And I guess what I was saying is uh, the imp- 
the implication, and I don't think it was intentional on Landfield's part. I think it was just the way that it was worded. It it it, it implied in some way that, well, Ben Carpenter, we just don't care about the PFD. We care about the economy as a whole. But no, it's all part and parcel of it. Yes, the PFD is important, but the overall economy and this dependency on government that we've created, we are a dependency state at this point. If we don't fix that, then nothing is going to get fixed. Yeah, and I'm not sure where we are on the break here, um, Michael, but I'd, I'd like to quickly hit some of the options that we have in, in ways and means. I, and I want to, yeah, I got want to do that. We're one minute out. So what we'll do is uh, what we're going to do, what we're going to talk with uh, Ben Carpenter about next is the options that are up in ways and means right now, two house joint resolutions and his own bill that hopefully could fix a lot of this issue. And I'm kind of excited to, uh, I'm kind of excited to talk about it. So Ben, hold the line. Ben Carpenter is our guest. We're going to continue here in just a moment. The Michael Duke show continues again ben carpenter from ways and means committee uh representative down on the peninsula and we will return with more here in just a moment don't go anywhere the michael duke show common sense liberty-based free thinking radio Listened to by more staffers in Juno than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're gonna be pissed. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. Okay, we are in the break right now uh, with Ben Carpenter uh, going on, uh, and we'll we'll change gears. We won't jump into those bills yet until we return to the radio. But you know, I I can't. The more we've been thinking about it in this last couple of days, uh, we've really been diving into this Ben kind of this idea of we we have created such a dependency state in in Alaska. You know, it's it's really it's it's really welfare for every direction um we've got the standardized welfare that we, we consider welfare on the one side medicaid and the thing and the st- food stamps and everything else on the one hand and on the other hand we've got all the corporate welfare that's going on and it's like those of us who are kind of in the middle are just getting squeezed and squeezed and squeezed and i said it yesterday i said eventually what will happen is you will el- the only private economy left in the state of alaska is the private economy that will be servicing the government that's it. There won't be any other free market private economy. That's, I mean, Ronald Reagan said it, right? He's, he's like, the government is, uh, is the problem, not the solution. And I'm paraphrasing because he said it much better than I could. All, all I can do is, is uh, help the, the next generation see. <laughs> yeah. they make sure. I've, got, I've got my daughter with me this year. Oh, Here's do you? Me. Come yep. on in. She's bring her in. Here as, a, as a Senate page. And, and we are having fun uh, learning about state government. Oh yeah, I bet. I bet. I bet her eyes are about that wide half the time. Like, what just? What's going on? What's going? It. it I'm sure it's a real crash course, isn't it? In in everything that's going on down there. Most definitely. Yeah, most definitely. Well, I I can't imagine. I I watch it from afar, and I I'm like biting my nails half the time because I'm so frustrated with everything that's going on. I imagine being down there. At least you feel like you're doing something. So congratulations, that is awesome. Uh, thanks for what's her name? You didn't give me her name. You said you're. This is Jenna. Jenna. All right. Well, Jenna, thanks for thanks for letting us have your dad for a little bit here this morning, where we can explain <laughs> some stuff. Uh, I'm, you are sure, welcome. <laughs> I'm sure we interrupted breakfast or something important. So it's it's good. 
good. Um, well, uh, and just learn learn well from him. That's all I can say right now. Ben, what are you know being in the majority now? How has that changed? What do I got? I got about three minutes here. How how has that changed the um, the dynamic for you? Especially, I know you've been fighting. You were part of the fiscal policy group. You've been you've been pushing on this for a couple of years now. What? Uh, how has the majority changed? How has it changed the dynamic for you? Well, I'm as chair of Ways and Means. I'm getting to do exactly what I wanted to do for the last four years, which is talk about a long-term fiscal plan and help influence that conversation. And for me personally, it's um, being in the majority is like a, a, a light switch, right? I get to control the agenda. I get to decide what we're going to talk about in committee. And I, you know, it's not like it's all my call. I've got committee members that have a say in this as well. So we have to work together. And I think that we're doing a very good job doing that moving forward. We, we don't agree on everything all the time and that's to be expected, but we are um, trying to keep the big picture in mind and, and moving the conversation forward about how, you know, when we're done at the end of this legislature, are we gonna have our, you know, have placed ourselves in a better position moving forward financially or not? And right. anyway, we get we get to make the decisions or at least present the options and hopefully make good decisions about where we're going. Hopefully convince some other people that they've been what we've been doing. You know, it's like the smashing your head against the wall repeatedly. I mean, at some point you gotta stop, okay? Because that's that's where we're at right now. We've been doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. And we're just like, at some point you gotta stop digging the hole, right? Stop digging yeah. the hole and and move up on it. Um and I, I just wanna say, I wanna clarify again. You're not giving up on the PFD. You're saying this is part of a larger piece in the puzzle. And we're going to see that in this next segment when we talk about the bills. You're not giving up on the PFD. But we need to stop focusing on it exclusively. We need to get that behind us so that it doesn't take up all the oxygen in the room. Am I paraphrasing what you said right? Yeah, I agree. That is is exactly the case. And the, the PFD problem is just a money problem. It's just numbers. You just have to figure out um, what numbers you want to put in what categories. The bigger problem is the political problem that kind of sits on it like a big elephant. <laughs> it just yeah. weighs everything down. right? Well, as, and, and that political problem is what has to be solved within the legislature. It's a political animal. Right. So to the extent that that whatever numbers we can come up with, whatever systems we can create to solve that political problem that that finds agreement on what the what the financial piece of it needs to look like. No. Again, like I said before. We're treating the symptoms instead of the disease. It seems like that's what we've been doing for years and triaging this. You know, we see all these symptoms, and so we, we, we're we trying to constantly slather bandages and salve on these symptoms when they don't realize that we've got a punctured femoral artery, and we should probably stitch that up and make it stop, right? You know, I mean, that's kind of exactly. where we're at. Um, all right, so Ben Carpenter is our guest. Um we're going to uh, we're going to continue here in just a second. We're going to go through some of the bills that are currently sitting in Ways and Means that will deal with the PFD itself, and uh, we'll get that information. Um, by the way, Ben, that chart was that from Sarah Montalbano's presentation? Is that what that was from? Yes. Okay. Yes, good. All right. We're going to talk with her next week. All right. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Here we go. Let's do it. The Michael Duke Show, proudly splitting the left versus right uh, dichotomy. Yeah, I had to look that word up, too. I don't think it means what he thinks it means. Here he is, though. 
that guy, Michael Dukes, the one with the show. That's right. The Michael Dukes show continues. Ben Carpenter is our guest, chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee and also a legislator for the peninsula down there. Uh, in the Mid Peninsula, not the Southern Peninsula, the Mid Peninsula, North Peninsula, uh, North Peninsula. He's high. He's he's north of the South. It's somewhere in there. Uh, ben Carpenter, our guest. Uh, before we went to break, we were talking about how uh, because again, I think what could have been read into the comments earlier was that you were just throwing your hands up on the PFD and you wanted to focus on something different. That's not the case. You're focusing on the PFD by dealing with that, but we have to keep our eye on the ball, which is the larger economic issues, the economy itself. Uh, and you were like, the PFD will take care of itself. And I was like, what do you mean by that? And then I started thinking about the bills that are in your committee. If those bills can get out, you're right. The PFD will take care of itself. So let's talk about it. You got a couple uh, resolutions, you got a couple constitutional amendments, and then you've got one bill from yourself as well. So let's let's talk about the bills that are in House Ways and Means. Yeah, so, so thanks, Michael. And um, at a very high level, your options presented thus far by members are to do a 25-75 split, 25% of the um, draw to a uh, dividend and 75 going to the government and using a POMV model. You've got a $1,000 dividend using a POMV model, uh, 5% of the POMV. You've got, um, let's see, um, some permanent uh, constitutional amendments that put um, either the um, POMV model or the statutory, old statutory 21% of net earnings into the constitution and whichever is, um, I think it's more, is going to be the one that we we use for calculation of the dividend fund. So those are those are some of the options. Um, the the bills that I have authored that I think would, would help would be to just, and this is kind of along the lines of what the fiscal policy working group is looking towards and the political, what I think is politically feasible is to put into the constitution a a uh, shall pay a PFD, right? So you modify the constitution to, to deal with the Wilkowski case and uh, dedicate the fund and dedicate the out um, the income from the fund by statute. So the, the constitutional right. amendment would say, uh, constitutionally, you shall pay a PFD. And then by statute, because the, the constitution would then be pointing to the statute as the, the thing that has to happen, but you give yourself the leeway in the legislature to be able to change that statute. You just have to change it through the appropriation, uh, through the uh, legislative process, not the appropriations process. So right. it completely takes it out of the appropriations process. Right. So we're turning the clock back onto the pre-Walker administration when it was never part of the appropriations. It was never counted as income and outgo. It was just a shall transfer. That's what it that's what it looked like. And then, of course, Walker came in and changed it and started accounting for it as actual revenue and everything else. That's where we got screwed up. So this would change it back to a shell transfer, um, giving it a statutory component to say that's the amount. Here's my question for you on that, because I like that idea. I like the idea of going back to the shell transfer. My question then doesn't uh, becomes doesn't the statutory component of them be then become the uh, the wiffle ball that goes back and forth during the legislative session? Um, not not in that sense, because the the you could it could, but it would require a bill during the legislative process, not through the budget process, the appropriations process. So right now the discussion is, hey, is the PFD going to be in the budget or not in the budget? But with this change, the PFD would just be paid. My my bill also takes the entire PFD program 
out of the Department of Revenue and puts it into the Permanent Fund Corporation. So the Permanent Fund Corporation would just determine the amount of uh, payment that's going to be made to the dividend program and to state government, and they would cut checks. They would cut a check to state government and they would cut a check to the people for the dividend. And it wouldn't be part of what we do. It just would just get done because the Permanent Fund Corporation would have to follow the law. Right. No, I mean, I think that's a great, I think it's a great idea. Now, the question is, because we originally, we talked about HDR 8 and HDR 9, right? The uh, uh, Which are the two components for st- uh, putting the statutory formula in the Constitution or putting a uh, some kind of 50. Can these things be done together? Does one counteract the other? Do we do we bring them down to one bill? What, what does it look like? I'm not sure that you have support within the within the legislature to put an actual um, uh, number in the Constitution, right? Five percent of the market value or fifty percent of the income. Those numbers people balk at, and and this is what what we talked about in the fiscal policy working group is is kind of a um, bellwether of the of the entire legislature. We we had agreement that we need to constitutionalize that to ensure that a PFD will be paid. But the amount of the PFD and how, how that formula is made, it wasn't agreement that that needs to be in the Constitution. I don't mind that that be in the Constitution, but I'm again, I'm trying to solve the political problem, which is finding an agreement on something that will work. So if you put through the Constitution to be able to uh, allow the legislature to dedicate this fund, the, out, the, the income of the fund, put that in the Constitution and then put a statute in place that tells the permanent fund corporation to just pay the, pay the payments, both to government and to the and to the dividend program, then then they follow the statute, and we would have to change that statute through the um, legislative process every year, as opposed to changing it within the budget process, which is a much easier thing to do. It's just we just put it in the budget. Right. So that would be a, a systemic way to solve this issue. No, and I agree, and I misspoke. It's uh, HJR seven and eight, not eight and nine. So it's seven and eight. Uh, were the two that you were speaking about, uh, future. So really, it's kind of we have to choose one, and which one, which which one do we want to go with? Um, I like yours, quite honestly, because again, it takes it, it the, that to me that shall transfer thing is the most important part because it does it takes the debate out of the arena of the legislature of do we include it or don't we include it or how do we juggle it or how do we smash it down or what do we you know do we just do the leftover or whatever. Um, so give me some timelines here on how this works coming through your committee and how it, and and as it comes out. Well, again, we're not going to discuss this just in the, the context of having only a PFD discussion. We're going to talk about this in the context of a fiscal policy working group solution that has multiple components. So between now and the end of the month, we're going to have some conversations about some other things like revenue and reductions in spending, that type of thing that we need to be that need to be part of the plan because that was part of the fiscal policy working group agreement to get a political solution. Right. Right. So um, we're going to continue to have this discussion and we're going to model. That's the technical term of putting all the components together and seeing how they relate to each other on a spreadsheet and charts and graphs to show what happens when you institute one one part of this and how does it relate to another part. So that's all going to happen here over the next few weeks to to explain what our options are. Right. I'm I'm certain I'm concerned that if we use the the five percent of market value uh, for the PFD portion of this, that which seems to be the prevailing thought in the legislature right now, that we're going to be spending out of the corpus 
to pay dividends or to pay state government, however we decide. And, and I don't think that the, the Alaskan people are really interested in seeing that happen. But that's the that's the the problem that you run into, the potential when you go to a 5% of market value instead of just a 21% of net earnings. In that case, if you didn't have any earnings, you don't have any dividend or state government spending. But when you use a 5% of market value, you're going to draw from the mar- from the fund regardless of whether you had a good investment year or not. Right. And if you don't have any money in the ERA, then the only place to get that's from the corpus. And so it's a it's a kind of a a situation where we've got a whole bunch of bad things happening all at the same time. High inflation, low returns. Who would have thought that that would be happening? Right. And the spring, and the spring forecast is not painting us the rosy picture that uh we, we hope for, right? I mean, we can look at what's going on with oil and now the banking crisis and oil is going to take a tumble even more. And uh, I mean, it, we're setting ourselves up for complete failure if we don't nip this in the bud. Yeah, And I, I think we just need to be forward thinking on this and don't pick a solution that's going to allow us to reduce the, the value of the corpus of the main, the main fund. Representative Ben Carpenter is our guest, uh, legislator for the Peninsula and chair of the House Ways and Means Committee. So we should expect other components to come out because that was one of the criticisms earlier. I know Will Stapp's bill got some pushback from Cliff Grow and others to say, well, this is not just it's they said that they wanted to do it all. Well, now we need other bills that deals with revenues, that deals with cuts, that deals with, uh, you know, the size and scope, that deals with all these other things. So those things are forthcoming then is what you're telling us right now. That's right. We already have uh, spending limit bills in ways and means. We have PFD bills in ways and means. We need to have some, uh, how do you make government more efficient bills in ways and means, right? Because right. I, don't, I don't think there's political will to cut the government very much. Right. Right. Not even my own caucus. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've got to look at uh, getting a more leaner, uh, more af- effective government as a management decision over time. And we, we have to put in place the correct statutes that require better management, because I can tell you it's very frustrating to sit in in the finance subcommittee hearings and, and be presented with information that doesn't really tell me anything from a management point of view. Right. It's, it's like I'm. I'm having to pull information from you and I don't even know where to ask. So right. we need the statutes to say, to, to spell out what information you're supposed to present to the legislature that is pertinent to us to be able to make the decision. And that's that's basically a management issue. So to the extent that we can make that long-term change, that, that would help us um, identify where we can become more lean and, and more effective as state government. Uh, ben, we're less than 90 seconds here. What can people do to help you? What can folks, what can us average listeners do to help you? Well, I would say turn off the boob tube and watch Ways and Means on Monday and Wednesday evenings, 6 to 8 p.m., and educate yourself on what we're talking about. And then get get a hold of your legislator and let them know what you're thinking. Just to encourage them to say, this is what I support, this is what I don't support. And again, a full unified theory, a holistic approach is really the only answer, because if we continue to try and pull this apart piecemeal, it's not going to fix anything and it'll get stalled somewhere along in the process. You're, you're never going to find the solution politically if you're not able to, to communicate a, a comprehensive reform package and how that's going to relate to each other. 
Ben Carpenter, uh, our guest here on the Michael Duke Show. Ben, we appreciate uh, the hard work that you got going on. We should be seeing these new bills drop in the next week or two, or what do you think? Yeah, probably. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye out Monday and Wednesdays, 6 to 8 6 to eight p.m. Uh, the Ways and Means Committees, you can see it on Gavel to Gavel at KTOO. Ben, thanks, uh, thanks so much for taking time out this morning to explain this to us. We appreciate it. You're welcome. Good to see you again. You Good too. To talk to you. you too, my friend. We will talk to you again soon. All right. The Michael Duke Show continues. We got more coming up. Hour two, dead ahead. Julie Columbi is going to be with us, and we're going to be talking with her about the ghost, ghost positions. Back with more. Oh, I mean, he's not wrong when he says his own caucus is not interested in cutting the budget. I mean, we saw that many players in his caucus now are the ones that wouldn't stand up and defend the governor's vetoes back in the day. I mean, it's what we've talked about. The, the political will to make make significant cuts is not there. But if we could find some cuts two, three hundred million dollars worth of cuts, if we can increase the oil taxation by three or four or five hundred million dollars if we can find you know some of these new revenues whether it's the um you know the carbon the carbon scheme or whether it's a sales tax or an income tax or something i mean again it's got to be the the holistic approach of it i don't want to see any more taxes i would rather it all see it come out of the cut side because it obviously could it, it obviously could that could be it that could be it i mean that's that's what i'm talking about but you just don't have the people who are willing to fight the storm, fight the backlash of that kind of stuff. It's um, it's pretty interesting. Pretty interesting, to say the least. Uh, all right. Let's, um, let's get on to uh, what do we got? Julie Colombe is going to be joining us here in a few minutes, and we're going to be talking with her. Um, in just a minute, I need to get caught up in the chat room. I don't think I've hardly read anything out of the chat room yet today because, um, uh, well, there's lots of stuff going on. Uh, let me go back over here to the comments and see what you guys are saying. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Ben. Thank you for coming on. Yeah. I mean, Ben, I think Ben's a good egg. I really enjoy talking with Ben. All right. Let me go back over here. Um, see, 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 um, um, anyone interested in school funding as well as Ben Carpenter's thoughts should watch the Ways and Means Committee from last night about midway through as a really good comment on resource development with respect to education funding. Oh, I should have seen that earlier. I would have asked him to repeat it. Um, has anyone heard how the courthouse sit-in went? I have not. Um, let's see. And they are getting a raise. And they are getting a raise. Yeah, they they are getting a raise. Fifty to eighty thousand dollars. Fifty to eighty four thousand. That's what they're getting. They're getting a thirty thousand dollar raise. Plus still keeping the per diem. So another thirty seven thousand dollars on top of that, potentially. Uh, Brian says he's not really surprised. Uh, Bill says what I said, I need to be a legislator. 
Uh, Tawny, ooh, Tawny, she wins the savage comment for the internet today that can do that increase so quickly but can't finish the session in 90 days. Right. I mean, the people are fired on a Tuesday afternoon and they the new committee holds a meeting on Wednesday and passes something. Dang. Dang. I mean, woof, woof, woof. Um, look at that scatter chart to see that one reason for our poor education outcomes is because we have a de- decreasing economic outlook. And I'll show you that scatter chart one more time here. Uh, just because it is an interesting, it, it's an interesting snapshot, and we're going to go over this with Sarah Montalbano on uh, uh, on. I'm going to try and get her on the show on Monday. Uh, we're going to try and go over this because, yeah, this has some interesting. This this brings some interesting things to light, um, especially when you look at the fact that I'm thinking that by looking at this right hand quadrant of the chart, uh, it's going to tell us one thing, which is more money is not going to fix it. We've got some of the most separate and and some of the most disappointing results in this area here on the bottom lower right quadrant. And, you know, we're spending twenty five to forty thousand dollars per student in there. Is that really fixing the problem? Is more money really going to fix the problem? I think the answer to that is probably a resounding no. Um, all right, let me see. I'm still going through the chat room. I see that Julie uh, is in the uh, green room right now. We're going to talk with her in just a second. Number one, so I can make sure that I'm pronouncing her last name right. It's so embarrassing when I can't pronounce somebody's last name. I just, it's like a forehead slapping moment. Um, all right. The government is not the solution to the problem. Oh, this is, that's Reagan's quote. The government is not the solution to the problem. The government is the problem, to which I would say, uh, duh. Um, thank you, Ben. Uh, let's see. I don't think that a snowball's chance in passing the Senate. Hawk doesn't think that those bills will pass the Senate. Uh, I don't know. Um, oh my God, Ben, you mentioned following the law. What a concept. Excellent. But will it ever happen? I don't know. I just don't know. Um, all right. Uh, clean up the unfilled positions, said Greg. And that's what we're going to talk. One of the things we're going to talk about with Julie here in a minute um, oof, man, you guys were verbose this morning. Got a bunch of comments in here. Um, all right. I'm just going to go over, uh, hopefully hope Ben's moral compass rubs off on a few more in Juno says Sandy. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, okay. Let's, uh, <clears throat> let's uh, go over here and check in with, uh, our guest, uh, make sure that uh, the audio and everything is working fine and uh, that uh, I am pronouncing names right because, whoa, nothing more. Julie joins us this morning. Hello, Julie. How are you? Hello. Good morning. Can you hear me okay? I can. Uh, so is it Columbe? Is it Colum? What? What is it, Julie? Just tell me. <laughs> Just tell me before I embarrass myself even more. It, it's Colombe. Um, okay. It's French Canadian, so uh, the B is not pronounced. Okay, Colombe. Yes. So, all right. See, I can. This we can be taught. It's like a monkey yeah, with a football. It's okay. I mean, I know people feel bad about it, but it's. I'm used to it, so it's. It's not. It's no big deal. I mean, you could just have a simple name like mine, 
right? I mean, yeah, or right. maybe not. I don't know. People are like, Duke? What? Duke? No, there's an S on the end. Put up your Dukes. That's it. So, all right. Uh, Julie, we're going to be jumping back into you here in just a second. All right. Hold the line. We'll be right back. The Michael Duke Show continues. It is your home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yep, uh, live around the world on the interwebs at MichaelDukeShow.com, where you'll find the links to the audio-only live stream, the podcast, and, of course, to all our social media, where we simulcast the show every morning on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, uh, and very, all the other stuff. Plus, live across the state of Alaska, on this, your favorite radio station, and or FM translator, The Michael Duke Show. Welcome to Hour 2. It's Thursday. We just finished up with Ben Carpenter. Fantastic interview, by the way, as usual, not any, not due to my nothing, had nothing to do with me. Ben Carpenter was on the line. Uh, if you missed it, you can go back and watch it on the live stream on Facebook or YouTube, or you can just download the podcast wherever you find it. I like Spotify. You can use Spotify, CastBox, Stitcher, iTunes, Google, whatever you want to do. All right. So that was last hour. This hour, going to be another good one. Uh, we are being joined by Representative Julie Colomb, who is uh, coming in this morning to talk a little bit about, uh, well, about the legislature. We've never had a chance to speak with her, so we want to get her feel as a new legislator and everything else. But specifically, I want to dive down into her chair uh, of the um, of the uh, Department of Education and Early Development Subcommittee, uh, and because she there was something in this article that came out in the Alaska Beacon yesterday that just blood immediately started to shoot from my eyes when I read it because it is my pet peeve and somebody finally said something about it out in the thing and it's it's amazing so let's uh let's quit the yammering and we'll jump over right now and we'll be joined by Julie Colomb who is uh with us uh this morning good morning how are you Good morning. How are you? You I'm know, doing great. I'm I'm doing fantastic. Now we've never got a chance to talk, which is unfortunate. I know that uh, the uh, election season was super busy, and I'd I'd made requests to everybody, but not everybody got a chance to get on the show. So it's good to talk with you. And so I guess first things first, if you don't mind, we'll just do a little bit of a walk down memory lane, uh, or you know, tell people a little bit about. Who you are, where you are, where you came from, you know, why did you, what exactly did you lose your mind and decide to jump into this madness, right? And uh, let's, uh, so let's get a little better background on you. Great. Yeah, I can do that. So 
Uh, my husband and I have been in Alaska for 35 years. Um, uh, my husband was active duty army. That's what originally brought us up here. And so we traveled around the country for a while. Then um, he got a job at the Alaska National Guard, Army National Guard. And so we could stay put and raise our four kids. And that's what we've been doing. We've been um, uh, working hard and raising children for last the 25 years. Um, so my my background is in the private sector. And so as a new, as a new legislator, uh, this has been a, a tough uh, learning curve. Let's just put it that way. I've never worked for state government. So, so little eye opening. Uh, is that what you're saying? Is a little eye opening, a little uh, like trying yeah. to take a sip from a fire hose. But yeah, well, so the information for sure, it's the mentality that I'm struggling with. So uh, my background, I originally started, I graduated from UAA uh, with a journalism public communications degree. I ended up working a little bit in advertising and marketing for a while, went home and raised kids for a while, and then went back into business management. And so I managed, you know, Target, I managed uh, several Alaska clubs and so I was really familiar with hiring, firing, making numbers work, performance metrics. Uh, you don't measure up, there's consequences. So right. that's just my mentality, right? So <laughs> so <laughs> I land on finance and then I land on these subcommittees and um, it was just, uh, what's the what's the best word? Appalling, maybe. <laughs> yeah, appalling, shocking. <laughs> what I was finding. So what I did find was the the commissioners were, you know, really passionate about their departments, and I think for the most part they really want to do a good job in the mission at hand. It's just a different mentality from the private sector um, on how you get that mission done, and so that's that's kind of what I was walking through. I did the subcommittees for education, public safety, and administration. Right. And administration particularly was um, a mammoth department. It connects to every other department in the state. And so that was definitely drinking from a fire hose. But but to go back, uh, so I I really, you know, once my, my last uh, child had gone to college and um, we bought a, a cabin in Homer to retire and to hang out. And then uh, I was approached to run and I said, no. And then <laughs> I was approached again. <laughs> and um, I just thought, you know, I, I, I always was frustrated with Juno you know, because I never felt like Oh, we had a quick, uh, got a quick uh, internet drop out here. My voice working full, kick in and do my time. Uh, a lot of people over the years were doing it when I was too busy. And so I felt a responsibility that, you know, I need to do what I can to what, what's going on in Juno. And I won my election in the ranked choice uh, second round. So it was kind of a nail biter. We had to wait a long time for the results. And then we had to wait another two weeks for the ranked choice results. And so it's been quite a ride for sure. It's an adjustment to what I'm I'm used to. But I, you know, I think I bring something to the table that a lot of people don't bring. Yeah. Um, I, I love listening to Representative Carpenter. I learn a lot about the permanent fund um, and uh, the bigger fiscal issues. 
But I think, I, I mean, I look at myself as a citizen legislator here. I'm six months out from being a constituent, writing emails to people. And so they've plopped me down in the middle of this madness and um, we're trying to make some sense of it. So I feel you know, a lot of responsibility to hold people accountable to what they're supposed to be doing to their budgets. And so finance ended up being, even though that's not what I intended to do when I was here, um, it ended up being a really good fit for me. Right. Uh, I'm not some. I'm not a legislator that likes to throw a lot of bills out there. I'm not looking to justify my presence here <laughs> by putting in thirty bills and getting ten passed. Because what I found when when I was a constituent, I didn't really care about the five thousand bills they passed because most of it was not anything that affected my life. It was naming bridges and, you know whatever. Uh, I really, I feel like I'm here to help the departments be more efficient and to accomplish the mission that they have. So that's how I approach the subcommittees. Well, that's good. I mean, you know, it's like what whatever Mark Twain said, the only time he was nervous is when the legislature was in session because they're making all those bills, right? And everything else. <laughs> Uh, you make an interesting comment. I mean, coming from the private sector and, you know, kind of that high level position of management where you were, where you were understood hiring, firing and motivation and goals. And I'm assuming budgets for these businesses and everything else. You know, I'm I'm reminded uh, because I've heard this. I've already heard this refrain a couple times so far this session. Um, which is, well, you can't, you know, I know that you balance your household budget, but you just can't equate that. You, you know, I know you balance your business budget. You just can't equate that to government because it's such a different, and I'm just like, <clears throat> arithmetic always wins, right? I mean, <laughs> you can't argue with math. Uh, and so as much as you might want to say that government budgets are so different than private sector business budgets or household budgets, they're really not. It's income and outgo, and it's how do we make it more efficient, and what's our biggest cost? Uh, what's our biggest cost factor? And, and all, I mean, so when you look at this and you see these things, um, when you see these things going on, uh, especially with your background, I mean, have you heard people say that to you that when you've been like, this is common sense that you know a budget does this, and they go, oh well, that's not how government operates. I mean, have you? I, I, I'm sure you've you've heard this before. Oh, for sure. I actually love seeing the reaction on people's faces when I say things that seem really simple to me, but they look mortified when I've said it. So my, the difference, I, and I've said this, the difference when you run a business and you, you start a program and you have a plan and it's not working, you shift pretty fast because there's no pot of money to keep that failure going. So right. there's not, oh, well, we, we'll just do this for 10 years, even though it's failing. And then go find another pot of money to keep it going. And so that's the difference, I think. Mentality, you're right, the numbers don't lie, but the mentality is that, well, you know, there's always more money to take care of this program. Right. But I, I want results. And what I'm seeing in a lot of cases is that there's a lot of be money being thrown and not a lot of results. And so that's kind of you know, that's what my questions were. If you watched any of the subcommittees, I'm looking at their, you know, I'm looking at their um, personnel costs, their commodities costs, their travel costs, and the results of their of their department. 
and they're not matching up. So those were the kinds of questions that I, you know, I, oh, I also, I imagine you know, that I kind also know I don't know a lot of things. So right. I, I try to keep things in context. Well, I imagine well. that kind of question makes some people very uncomfortable <laughs> when you start asking some of those questions. Like, what do you mean? Yes. What do you mean? Um, yes. Julie Colomb is our, uh, is our guest, uh, house rep for district 11 down there in Anchorage. And she's on uh, finance and some subcommittees. Uh, what brought her to my attention again was this deed uh, subcommittee uh, that was written about in the Alaska Beacon. Um, and I don't have a lot of time here, so I'm just going to kind of set this up. Uh, actually, before we jump into that, we'll set this up for the next segment. But uh, Julie, you know, the ideal here obviously is to get government to live within its means. And we as a state have not done that for over a decade. I mean, we have just, I mean, it's just, you know, we had that big pot of money. Like you said, there's always some other pot of money. First, it was the SBR. Then it was the CBR. Then it was, uh, you know, pulling it from the dividend. Then it was, you know, more dividends and other things. And I mean, we're, we're to this point here where, uh, you know, th- there will be not enough money, especially, um, you know, this, I don't know if the spring forecast came out yesterday. It should have, but I'm sure that it was not a rosy outlook for everything moving forward. We're looking at deeper deficits moving forward. And there comes a time when we just run out of money, right? Yep. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I tried to tell people, you're breaking up a little bit, so hopefully I didn't interrupt you. But um, I just tell people, if you want a new program, if you want to do something different, find it from somewhere else. It's not going to come from the sky. You have to shift resources. Yeah. So that's kind of how I approached it. If, you, if you're really passionate about something, you need to shift your resources towards the things you think are important, not just look for a pot of money. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're coming up on the break, so we're going to go ahead and take that break, and we will return here in just a moment with Julie Colomb. Uh, She's going to be our guest here moving forward. We're in the next segment. We're going to talk about her budget and the subcommittee for DEED and some of the other committees that she's working on. And we will continue with more. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Back with Julie Colomb right after these messages. Don't go anywhere. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. All right, in the break with Julie Columbia right now, or Colomb, sorry, uh, right now uh, as we go through. Uh, so yeah, sorry about that. My internet d- just, it's been fine for two days, and then today it just <laughs> occasionally just drops it right out. So I apologize for that. Um, <clears throat> okay. Julie, I got to imagine that this was, especially coming from your background, now that I understand and know your background, this whole thing has got to have just been kind of shocking to see the, to see the attitude of people who are working in government. I mean, again, I'm sure they're great people. Don't get me wrong. It's an institutional thing. It's not an individual thing. It's an institutional thing. But I mean, it's just, it must have just been like flooring 
to see all this attitude of, oh, don't worry, more money will come somewhere. We're just, this is an important program. Right. Well, I tell people, uh, you know, with the subcommittee, you you have a deadline for amendments. I didn't get one amendment to decrease anything from anyone. No, of course Both sides. Not. No. Nobody made an amendment to decrease. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. I did get amendments for um, <coughs> two of the committees to increase and to add funding to different programs, but, uh, or create new programs. And so I, you know, I explained to people, you know, those amendments got turned down in my subcommittee and it's, it, except for one. Um, but it's because in my mind, you know, we're we're operating the budget under priorities from prior legislation uh, legislators. Right. So maybe the priorities back then were these things, but what are our priorities and where are we putting our resources? It's not that we need to find the money, it's where are we putting our priorities. And that's I have found it seems to me that this seems to be a private sector thing because when I ask departments and organizations about what their priority priorities are and where they're putting their money they're like well we have to do you know we have we have 12 priorities I'm like well that's 12 priorities <laughs> that's 12, a list 12 priorities that's- is not a priority yeah it's a list <laughs> right exactly it's so, a wish list I mean, when i when i was running a business uh yeah i had big pipe dreams about all the things i'd like to do but you settle down into the top two things that need to be done you put your resources there you get those things accomplished and then you move on to the next thing so i i think there's a lot of there's a lot that could be um done in just shifting resources to what we think is important i would say I, you know, there's some really big themes here in Juneau as far as priorities. I don't know if it's on a list anywhere, but I hear a lot about the family, supporting family. Even the governor had said, you know, when he wants to be a pro-life state, that's that's making the state a place where it's easier to run or to have a family. Um, so all those all those things around family, whether um, it's daycare schools or you know, medical supports or whatever, uh, education. Th- those are those are big things. We nobody likes what's going on with the school districts. And so, you know, if you look at that and you say, okay, well, here's all of our budgets, here's where all the money suck is. Um, maybe we need to shift some of that money over to what we think is important. Um, and and look at it, you know, I, I look at it as a pie and everybody has a slice of it. I'm not going to just go get another pie and just eat, you know, I'll just go grab some from there. We have a finite amount of money. And so let's, let's again, establish our priorities and then move our resources towards those things that we think are important. I mean, do we, this is what I've said for years, but I think in this problem, we have a, we have a, we have a problem in this state that basically we, we've we've misunderstood the difference between must-haves and nice-to-haves, what's constitutionally mandated and what should be done, and the things that would be nice to have. And instead of prioritizing the constitutional mandates, we put them in, but then we focus on all these other things that are nice-to-haves. And we got less than 30 seconds, but is that, I mean, is that kind of been your reaction down there? Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, like no concept of, you know, of how things affect the budget. 
Oh. It, it's just, I want this and this is good. And to, to what Ben was talking about growing the economy, some of that weight is falling on government because the economy's languishing so much. Right. All right. Well, the ding means we got to jump back into it. Here we go. The Michael Duke show, common sense, liberty-based, free thinking radio. Like it, share, like it, share, like it, follow. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Seriously humorous with a pinch of intellect. <laughs> pinch of intellect. Sorry. That is humorous. Here's Michael Dukes. That's right. We got a pinch of it somewhere around here. May have thrown it away at one point. Um, it's less painful that way. If, if, you don't, if you're not thinking about it, it's less painful. The Michael Duke Show continues. Our guest this morning is House Rep from District 11 in Anchorage, Julie Colomb. And we've been talking with her about her experiences as a brand spanking new legislator uh, and how that has felt, which I just I can't even imagine, is like <laughs> dropping into the deep end of the pool. And I meant the cesspool, not the regular Olympic size pool. Um, we're uh, <clears throat> we're going to talk now, though, about what brought her to my attention most recently, this story in the Alaska Beacon, which says, uh, after years of contentious fights, Alaska state's budget is advancing smoothly in the House. And it goes on to talk about the various things that are going on, mostly because it's it's mostly, they say, in the story, that it's proceeding smoothly because it's a flat budget, because nobody's trying to cut or nobody's trying to increase or blah, 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 blah. And then they get into this discussion about DEED, the Department of Education and Early Development and the subcommittee, which is chaired by Julie, uh, and the cuts that got in there. Um, she cut some costs. $900 million for a department-level project uh, at one point. But what caught my eye was the discussion about the cut of $400,000 for two librarians in the state library in Juneau. And I quote from the paper, Colum says she likes libraries, but those positions have been vacant for years. And then blood started to shoot out of my eyes because I was just, this is something that has been a pet peeve of mine for years. Um, and I want Julie to g give me some commentary on it. But we know from working with former Representative Tammy Wilson that's, that usually in the state budget on a year-to-year -year basis, there is somewhere between two and 3,000 funded but vacant positions in the state government. Two to three thousand. In fact, I think the last number that Tammy gave me was something like twenty eight hundred and ninety something uh, positions. And as as Julie said, some of these positions have been vacant for years. So the argument of, well, you can't cut that because we still got to deliver the service. Well, if it's been unfilled for years, you're obviously delivering the service, but you're getting this money and they're treating it like a slush fund because those those monies stay in there. And if they don't get spent, they get returned to the coffer. So of course they're going to spend them. So they have these empty positions. So Julie, let's talk about this. I call them ghost positions, right? Funded, but not filled. How long, do you know how long those positions at the state librarian level had been there unfilled because you said they've been vacant for years? Do you happen to know how many years, just out of curiosity? Well, the director, I think the director said um, it was about 12 months on one and it was indeterminate on the other one. And I found it interesting that this has been such a focus. It's $400,000 cut. It's right. it, it's not that big of a deal. So um, when I looked at it, we have a library in Juneau 
off the road system is costing the state $6.2 million outside of the building maintenance. They get a separate tranche for that. 26 librarians making over $100,000. So I'm looking at it, you know, this is not, this budget keeps going up. And in the governor's budget, it, it, it had the increase. Um, so it's not that I'm against libraries. No. But that this needs, and I said in subcommittee, I would like to see the library shift to more online services to make this wonderful library more accessible to the rest of the state and not add more bodies. And if you have already two positions that are been empty this long, this is not that big of a cut. Right. They they came back and said that they give grants to small libraries and that I'm taking money out of this, the grants to Great. small libraries. Yeah, okay. So they've, Which, they've had yeah. unfilled positions that they've had money for, so then they could play Santa Claus with all right. these other places, and it's all good and fine and well. Uh, and maybe to you, in the biggest scheme of things, $400,000 is not much. But as uh, Brian says in the chat room, 400000 that's a big cut to somebody's slush fund, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what it comes yeah. down to. Well, yeah, we got def- I have definitely gotten pushback, I, which being a new legislator, I did not see that. Co- I did not. I didn't see it as a as a big cut or a substantial anything. I thought we're just going to make it more efficient. I know there's some vacancies there. I know they have a, they have two really wonderful online programs that I want them to grow. One is homework help online and the owl program. And I'm like, why, why not pursue that? It doesn't take personnel. You can do those within the existing personnel and it doesn't increase your staff, which is expensive. So I, I you know, when, when they said that, that I was taking some kind of cut to, to the grants, um, I think it was Representative Ruffridge said, well, why wouldn't you just cut the the vacancies? <laughs> right. Why would you take it from the library grants? Right. Um, so this is, you know, this is the thinking, you know, well, we're not going to cut personnel. Well, I got, some, I got some accounting questions at that point. If you're taking payroll lines and you're moving them over to budget grants and doing that kind of things behind the scenes, I mean, what? I mean, I, yeah. I, if I was doing that in business, uh, you know, I have to answer to higher ups to say, why are right. you moving this payrolls money over here to some kind of fixed, right. you know, cost? I mean, there's a lot of questions there. But like I said, three thousand of these positions exist in the state at any given time, and many of them have been unfilled for right. years, months, and years. Well, I had known about the I had known about that before I came to Juno and you know, vacancy rate was a big deal in all my subcommittees. We all looked at we all asked what's your vacancy rate? We so in the budget they have like a vacancy factor that they take from their budget. It's usually around 5%. So they have their total budget, they take 5% to account for vacancies and that's their budget. Well, most of these departments are in the double digit vacancies. And so we're only withdrawing money for 5% when they might have 12 or 18% vacancy rate. So those are empty slots that are sitting there. Um, and, you know, one of the, in the historically Department of Public Safety has had a lot of issues with sure. that. And so uh, luckily I had um, a really good committee. We looked a lot of that. I would say Commissioner Cockrell has really uh, done a good job trying to um, account for those and not ask money when he has vacancies and he'll, he uses, I think he's really trying to, uh, turn that around, 
But in general, overall, the departments, most of them had a higher vacancy than what was accounted for. So that's right. something that we, we that was, all my subcommittees had had that. Well, and again, uh, you know, 400000 for two positions, we know that that's both salaries and benefits. So, you know, $130,000 in salaries and 70000 in benefits is usually probably a governmental, that's probably a good formula for government. But if you just said it was $100,000 per position and you've got right. 3,000 vacancies uh, and you could cut uh, into half of those, I mean, it's $150 million. I mean, that's a lot of money. All of a sudden, when you start talking about it, and that's money that's not being, I mean, it's being accounted for. But again, if they were using librarian salaries to pay grants, that that that's not a that's not a good and faithful use of the money. I mean, my question is, why don't we cut all the empty positions? If they need to fill a position, they come back, and it comes back as part of the supplemental. I mean, we already do a right. supplemental budget. Why aren't right. we doing that? Why aren't we cutting all that money out in the front end, $150, million, $300 million, and then say, well, if you need another employee and one shows up, a good one shows up, it's in the supplemental. We're good to go. Why not right. do that? Well, and I think that that happened last year. I mean, I wasn't here, but um, they added a lot of state trooper positions last year that were unfunded. And they said, you know, you have a high vacancy rate, use the money you have. And if you need money, come back and and we'll we'll fund right. those. They did come back. I can't remember the number. It wasn't that many, but um, they had hired. So now you have somebody said we've hired this many people. We need this amount of money. And so it matches up a lot better than, well, we're just going to give you enough for 15 positions. You might fill five and then yeah. the rest just there. Uh, we can't afford that kind of waste. We can't, oh, no. we can't spend on a hundred million dollars and just not do anything with it. We just, we're not in that position to do that. No, I mean, I mean, I, I'm in the same position of running businesses that are, you know, you run a million dollar business and you look at that, you just don't arbitrarily throw stuff at a line that you think is, well, we might spend it one day or whatever, and we've got to spend it by the end of the year to justify it. So it's all okay. That's the, see, to me, that's the biggest difference between the public and the private sector. The public sector, and I was first exposed to this 30 years ago when I worked in automotive, uh, uh, I ran a, I ran a parts warehouse, an automotive parts warehouse. And I remember walking into the DOT in Fairbanks at, uh, you know, in June the 10th or June the 12th. And the, and the guy's like, oh yeah, come with me. And he says, break out your pad. I need three of these and four of these and five of these. I mean, it was, you know, 10, 12, $15,000 order for stuff. This guy would normally only buy five or 600 bucks a month of stuff. And it was because it was the end of the fiscal year and he got, he had to spend all that money or he wasn't going to get it again the next year. Whereas the private sector would be like, oh, look, we can fold this back into this is the profits or this is for investment for next year or whatever. That's the main difference is that if they have the money, they're going to spend it. If you eliminate all those ghost positions and you say, if you need more people come to us, we'll give you more money. That's a whole different scenario. Right. Yeah. And, you know, to, to Representative Carpenter's point before, you know, you, you go to a subcommittee and you're being fed information that isn't very useful in the management of the department. They're giving you what they want to tell you. And you have to find the questions to ask to find the rest of the information. And so because this has been a thing, it's kind of a committee, I mean, a uh, department run committee. Um, right. I, you know, I found out real quick um, that this is 
I was going to have to do my own homework. I mean, I was working all weekend, 12 hour days, just digging through numbers because I, nothing was coming easily. I had to go find it and request it and look at it. And so, you know, I think I'm anxious to do things a little bit different next year with the subcommittees. I, I think there's a lot that we can do make it more efficient and, and give us the answers we really need to know to make good decisions. Well, having a department-run subcommittee is definitely a problem because it's very easy to get gaslit by, you know, let's flood them with all this useless information that really tells them nothing about what we actually do or where the money actually goes and then say, this is why we need more money. And, yeah. of course, not everybody has a background like you, so they may not understand it so they can get bamboozled in that kind of thing. And and, right. and that's been that's been what's been going on for the last 30 years here in the state government, the people that just don't understand. And, again, they buy into the mantra of, well, you can't treat this like a business. No, but it's a budget. There's an income and there's an outgo. And you've got you, they've got to match up. If they don't, there's a problem. And you can't allow these spurious things to continue, these unfunded. And I'm just I'm picking on that one thing because it's something that I've talked about for years and nobody has really brought it up. You're, this is like one of the first times that it's been mentioned. That's like, I love what this department does, but this, this these positions have been unfilled for years and I'm not going to put four hundred thousand dollars in there for that. Um, it's uh it's shattering to think about the amount of money that could possibly come back into the state and fix some. You want a BSA increase? How are you going to pay for it? Well, let's just cut all these unfunded positions and look, all of a sudden you've got enough money if that's what you really want to do is for that. If that's, you know, but nobody's talking about where is the money coming from for this or that or the BSA increase or the defined benefits. Nobody's talking about where does the money come from? As you said earlier, they just all assume that there's going to be another bucket of gold at the end of the rainbow somewhere. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Well, let's be frank. There is a bucket of gold. We we got this monster, you know, permanent fund yep. uh, account, and we got the ERA, and and they know that, you know. And so, if it really gets tough, then you know, you know what's going to happen. I mean, I'm not going to rehash what uh, you and Representative Carpenter talked about, but um, I think I don't look at the permanent fund that way. But if you do look at it that way that we, we, we need to put more money towards these state services. We'll just take it out of the accounts we have. There's no need to be efficient. It's right. just get more money. So, well, and I don't, I, you know, I don't, there's, there's some things that government needs to do. And there's a lot of things that government tries to fix that can't, and they just can't. And they usually make it worse. And so you have to divide what those things that we have, we have to do roads. We have to do infrastructure. Right. I get it. We have to fund the National Guard. We, you know, there's certain things that I feel like should be priorities for the government because that's their role. But we're getting swamped by um, the social ills of Alaska. And I know a lot of people that have come to my office, they want to help and they, they think they're they're trying to make a difference in what's happening, but really to again to Ben's point, you know, the economy is the private sector is so it's languishing so bad that it's falling on government because they have the resources. Right. Well, you and know? that's what we've talked about in the past again with uh, Senator uh, Myers is that there's this growing disconnect between the public and the private sector, between those they're supposed to be conjoined and cohesive right. and supposed to work together symbiotically right. and instead because we don't 
uh, have revenue coming directly from the people because we've got separate pots of money. The government can grow at an exponential rate compared to the and the private economy can languish. And the government, of course, to justify its existence, puts more regulations and oversight in the private economy, which just crushes it down more and more. And we've got this disconnect and it's going to it's going to kill us if we don't pay attention to it. It's going to cost us in the long run, as you said. That, that corpus of that fund, I said it many years ago, it is uh, way too juicy a cookie jar for them not to want to put their hands into, right? I said, right. first they'll come for the ERA, and for right now the Constitution is, it protects the corpus, and then SB 26 came in and they started the POMV, and then I'm like, ah, it's going to be, you know, and but that's the direction that we're going right now. Right, right. And I think, you know, I I'm so grateful that my uh, uh, my experience in the private sector because <clears throat> there's so much freedom and creativity in the private sector especially when you run a business you know you, you get to your if it's uh, the businesses I ran are pretty nimble you know you can adjust to what's going on you have creative ideas you you learn how to make your metrics in creative ways and this is so what I find is just the, the structure is so rigid that trying to turn the ship is really, really right. hard. It takes a long time. I don't know if I'm going to be here that long right. to do that. But, and I've always, I look at this, you know, I only have, um, I only have two years. I don't right. know what's going to happen in two years if I'll get reelected or not. So I'm trying to make them count. Right. And, well, you're and talking. I certainly don't want to be here for the rest of, my, I don't want to be here 20 years. <laughs> right. Um, well, you're yeah, talking I, about fighting against the institutional bias, right? I mean, this is the yeah. way we've always done it. This is the way it's always done. Yeah. This makes sense. And anybody who's throwing a, a, a spanner in the wrench is going to, boy, you're going to raise some ire there. That's for sure. Julie yeah. Colomb is our guest. Julie, can you stick with us here to the top of the hour? Are you good to go? Okay. So we're going to come back to her and we'll talk about uh, her priorities, what she would like to see, what she's working on. And uh, beyond deed and the ghost positions and everything else, which I would love to see some legislator just take that on big time. Uh, but we're going to continue with more here in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Julie Colomb, our guest. We return right after this. Listened to by more staffers in Juneau than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're going to be best. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I'm going to anyway. Uh, Julie, this, again, this, this thing, this... <clears throat> The whole ghost position thing is just uh, it is a microcosm of the bigger problem. It is the prime example of the biggest problem here. And the reaction, I'm glad you told me about what they said about the grants, because that's not obviously not in the uh, not in the news story. But this just shows the idea of, well, that's our money that we need to be able to spend how we want to spend it. Not that we, you know, we may have needed the position, but we're obviously getting by. But we were going to take that money, which we told you was for one thing, and we're going to use it for something else. And as Ruffridge said, well, why don't you take it out of the grants fund instead of the employee fund? Well, but this is what they've been doing, and they've been getting away with it. And there's no accountability in the departments 
for making sure that monies are spent from the proper pots of money and everything else. It just encourages this kind of behavior. I mean, three thousand positions. My mind is blown. You've got a you know in a in a twenty six thousand twenty seven thousand employee group. If you've got three thousand unfilled positions, and you're funding them, that's a problem. Yeah, yeah, that's a problem. I think part of it. There's two two issues that I've seen. So I've only been here eight weeks. So take it for what it's worth. One right. is that. Um, a lot of legislators have a tough time wrapping their head around the budget. Um, I'd certainly, I'm, I tend to be a, a little bit of a workaholic. So I, I spend a lot of time teaching or, le- or learning about what's going on. So if they don't fully understand what's going on, it's hard to know what questions to ask. The other thing is that departments do have the freedom to move their money around between you know, commodities and personal services, they have that freedom. So you don't really, you can't, there's really no way to say, hey, you have to take this down out of this certain area. Um, The only way that I have found to do that is maybe to deny a funding request for a specific thing, but they can still, if they get denied, and this is across the board, they they can use their funds to, to meet whatever needs they have. That's just, that's just the way it is. I mean, they, it's just the way the departments are run. And so I'm not sure what the answer is to that, but I think one thing that I, I find useful is that I get to come back to these same committees next year and say, okay, well, you said this and you did this. And so what did you accomplish with the money you requested? Which I didn't have that, that I wasn't privy to a lot of that information this year. Although. I did listen to a lot of subcommittees from last year, so I knew what the questions were last year, and so I knew kind of where to look and what what were the issues, what were they asking about last year about the subcommittees, <laughs> and so that that's helpful. Again, most people aren't going to sit around and do that on a weekend, uh, but I found it really helpful to give me some context to what what they were coming in and asking for this year. I could so. just see Julie coming into the committee next year. You got some splaining to do. You got some <laughs> splaining to do. Uh, I could see it. I mean, yeah. but th- that's the kind of accountability that we need. And this is this is part of my problem, again, with the whole people talk about, you know, term limits and bureau- you know, I say, well, great term limits are great. I love them. But you got the bureaucracy. And what you're talking about is the hoodwinking that the bureaucracy can do, the coming into the committees and gaslighting and doing this and obfuscating things and doing, you know, not telling you that they promised the previous committee that they would do this with it and everything else. That's the problem. And we have grown such a dependency state in Alaska that the bureaucracies feel comfortable in in doing that, just expanding and and it's it's t- terrifying to me that this is kind of where we're at right now, right? And me as well. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of terrifying that. that yeah, I think. Um, yeah, some of the you know the Department of Education budget, the reaction to that has been pretty interesting because um, I was getting messages that I had cut the Reads Act funding. Uh, if anybody watched what I did or read the amendments, I did not cut the funding. I redirected it, which is what I do. So Deed wanted $385,000 to have a conference about the Reads Act. $385,000 to get a 35-member panel right. to have everybody come for two days and talk about the Reads Act. The Reads Act isn't even implemented yet. 
What are we talking about? Uh, even if you did it in the spring, it, 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 there's nothing to talk about. The REEDS Act is going to take a couple years to see the needle move. And so I took that money and said, you guys come up, be creative and do a, a cheaper conference. And I added two reading specialist positions. With that money, right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, that was, I mean, I guess that was really radical. I, I just didn't see, I'm like, no, you don't need a conference. Well, don't you, you don't need a $900,000 data project. Don't you know that this is the Alaska study industry, right? We're going to study the study to study the study that we studied before. Oh my gosh. I mean, how many how many libraries are full of studies that have been studied, you know, every time? I mean, it's, it's the typical oh Alaskan thing. Let's form another committee or a working group or something else that's going to cost us half a million bucks to do something. It's, it's frustrating. All right, yeah. uh, hold the line. Julie Colomb is our guest. We're going to jump back into it. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like and share the show. Let's do it. All right. Well, I guess when the horse is dead, you must dismount. So I'm gonna get off my uh, gonna get off my high horse on the whole uh, ghost position thing. Although, like I said, Julie, I would love to see somebody take that up as a prime issue in when you talk about cutting the budgets. That's an easy fix. Like I said, they can always come back and ask for it in a supplemental if they do fill a position. There's nothing saying they can't, and it would be an easy two or three hundred million dollars out of the budget. If you got, I mean, at, and I'm saying at a hundred thousand bucks a year, we know that they cost more than that. It's, if it's if it's two hundred, you're making a lot more money. Uh, and again, you could put those back in. I'd love to see that. But I want to talk about what your priorities are. And you obviously are hip deep in the morass right now, trying to go through all this stuff, and uh, and you're going through it. Uh, what is your priorities this year? I mean, obviously working on finance and through the subcommittees and everything else. But let's talk about some of your priorities and goals as you go forward. And, uh, and you know, if there's any bills that you are going to put forward that deal with the budget or if you're just going to be in committee, you know, what? let's talk about your priorities. Yeah, so I think, I mean, my number one priority and, and as a finance member, my responsibility is the accountability of the spending. That That is by far where most of my time is, is put. Uh, I, I have to, I have to do the homework to see what departments are doing. And to your point about the vacancy rate, that's a, I mean, that's an excellent point. You know, that's something that I could definitely dig into. Um, it's what I enjoy doing as well. But I think, as I said before, I'm looking at things where we're shifting resources out from things like maybe vacancy rates, maybe it's totally different departments and um, moving it into what, what we think that can actually help Alaskans I, I'm frustrated as a, when I was a constituent that the things they're working on, it didn't, it didn't really align up with what I needed. I need my roads to be plowed. You know, I need, I wanted my permanent fund. I want, I wanted services to work, my utilities to work. And some of those things are just being broke down. So mine, my, my goals are very pragmatic. Uh, and I think, you know, there's some, there's some bills. I have some areas uh, mental health is an area, a passion of mine, because <clears throat> my husband and I had adopted a foster son who has issues. And so 
we've had our own story with mental health and addiction with him. And so that's something that um, I'm re I really have uh, a, a big heart for. I, you know, we have a talk about uh, a treasure pot. We have a treasure called the mental health trust. These people have seven <laughs> to $800 million plus land. Oh. And uh, our mental health system is broken, is absolutely broken. We have a Department of Justice report. Um, we're on the verge of being having a lawsuit from the feds because we're not providing community-based services for our kids. There's no mental health treatment. So those mental health is definitely something that is a passion of mine. And I, I would like to see those funds being used more effectively as well and not for studies because we know we know we're, we're, we're the top of the list for everything for domestic abuse, sexual abuse, yeah. uh, suicide, drug addiction, drug overdose. I don't need any more data. Like we need to take action. And, um, we've been at the top of the list for years. So that's something that's a priority of mine as well as, you know, what I'm doing in the finance, uh, subcommittee. But I think right now I'm, you know, I, I, I have a, I, I bring something that, seems to be unusual here and that's coming from the private sector so i want to use what what i bring to the table as best i can to bring yeah. the budget in line there's nothing that's gonna there's no, nothing that i cut in subcommittees gonna balance the budget i think it's more of a just an attitude of hey i'm watching these numbers i look at everything that they're requesting and so that accountability, I think, if we can spread that through the finance committee, there's four freshmen on the finance committee. So you got a fresh look and most of us are from the private sector. So right. uh, that's going to be my my main. Well, focus. And I, know, <clears throat> I know I know we're kind of running out of time, but I, I just have to say regarding the pay increases that came through last time. <laughs> Can well, I just say something about that? I would love quick? you to say something about that. I was a little floored. I was <laughs> talking about shocked. I was a little shocked this morning when I saw that. Yeah. So absolutely not. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I, I, I think there's, there's support for that, those pay increases on the Senate side. Uh, but as, as an individual, and I can only speak for myself, there is no way that I would ever accept that kind of pay increases, like $35,000. That being said, I do know that uh, many of the freshmen have uh, their young families, their, their kids are in the hall some way, uh, you know, and it is, it's been pretty tough on them financially right. uh, to, 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 to maintain two homes with. So it's not that I think everybody's just greedy, the greed, um, I, I, I think there is some, in some cases it's been a hardship for me personally, because my husband and I are, we're through the family stage. We're okay. Whether I have this job or not. Um, you know, that's, that's something that that's why I, I look at it as it is a, it's called a public servant for a reason. And part of the public servant is that the pay is not great. Right. But I, even that, I mean, I, we have per diem. I, I have enough money to, to manage and I'm fine, but I do know that, that there are some legislators that it's, it's been tough on them and their families. And I, I, I you know, I, under, I recognize that, but uh, me personally, 
no. I yeah, no. I look. I understand that there should be an, a discussion about it because it hasn't been yeah. raised in ten years, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Although I look at the private sector also, and I don't see a bunch of races going on in the private sector in <laughs> difficult situations either. Right on top of that. Right. But this, what what really floored me was the governor fired the remaining three commissioners on <laughs> Tuesday afternoon, and Wednesday they have a new deal, and I'm just like, yeah. what? Uh, yeah. And, you know, when you talk about per diem and everything else and, and the thing, I mean, now it's $133,000 if you take full per diem and your pay. I mean, that's a lot of money. Uh, that's a lot of money for what is essentially a part-time job. Now, granted, these four months, it doesn't feel like a part-time job. But right. for the rest of the year, it's just a part-time job. And it is, uh, right. it, it's a little shocking. I'm not against readdressing it. I am against just throwing all the money at it. And and you're right. The pressure that was coming out of the Senate, and you could read between the lines on the news stories when they denied the first uh, uh, pay increase for the governor and the commissioners, you could see that it was like, if we don't get ours, nobody gets it. And that kind of attitude just chaps me personally. Well, yeah. And especially for somebody who just came out, you know, like I said, I'm six months away from being a constituent. When I saw stuff like that and I knew what <clears throat> families were going through out here in the real world and the private sector, it, it's just, it's insulting. And I just don't, sometimes I think they just don't understand how, how that looks maybe right. because I, I don't know, we were a working family for a long time and um, I, I made a lot less and with a lot harder work. Yeah, um, no, I, I get that. I understand that totally. Uh, I mean, when a part-time legislator makes more than I would make in a year, that's yeah. a problem, right? When I'm yeah. supporting a family of five and everything else, you know, yeah. uh, again, it's it's frustrating. Uh, I appreciate you, and I would like to invite you to come back on the show again here in the future. And I have your number now, so I'm going to bug yeah. you. So just oh no, no, anytime. This was great. Thank you so much for inviting me. It, yeah. It's it's been great, and I'm I'm willing to come back anytime. All right, Julie Colom is our guest. Hold the line, Julie, for just one second. Folks, we're out of time. Tomorrow is Firearms Friday. Dr. John Lott joins us to talk about his latest uh, works. And, of course, Willie Waffle with the Entertainment Review and everything else. It's tomorrow. Thanks for coming in and joining us. Be kind to one another. Love one another. Live well. The Michael Duke Show. We'll see you tomorrow. Well, you're getting a rousing chorus in the chat room. Everybody uh, loved having oh, you on. You're getting uh, you're getting great. some good stuff out there. Um, yeah, yeah, Julie, I know you're super busy uh, and because people have been telling me, I talk to folks all the time and they said, yeah, she's one of the hardest working people in the legislature for sure. Uh, oh. But if you want to add to your workload with that vacancy ghost position thing, uh, I mean, I think if more, if more, here's the thing, the average person doesn't understand that. The average person doesn't understand that that's what's going on. Right. And so if they understood that there was a 10, 15, 18% vacancy rate uh, in these positions and they're using that money for other things, I think most people would be shocked that that's yeah. what's going on. That There's hundreds of thousands of dollars in each of these departments, millions of dollars, I guess, if you fill up all the positions, where it's just being used at their discretion and then they're cutting the PFD on top of that. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. a, that's a shocking thing. And uh, I, I think it would be a good tool. And maybe... It's something that we can shame these departments with to to again work a little bit more efficiently. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Well, I'm 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 up I'm uh, I'm up for it. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's. let's... I, you know, I didn't. I never had. There was never anything like a.
vacancy rate factor or anything in especially in a small business like no you 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 get the money yeah. you know and actually when we had vacancies it it usually helped me make my labor costs drop down yeah exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I didn't get those I didn't get those when there was nobody there. Right. (laughs) Right. I know. Exactly. It wasn't like I had a vacancy and I took that money and did something else with it. I bought another trip to a conference somewhere or whatever. Um, no, it's, it's frustrating. I'm, let me give you the floor for the last minute here. Any final thoughts? I like to do this at the end so that there's no pressure to hit the top of the hour or anything. So your final thoughts, any final thoughts for the listeners and everybody else that's listening on the podcast and everything else, Julie Colomb, you get the last word here. Oh, wow. Thank you. Well, I think um, I want to end positively. I would say that the majority uh, caucus is it, it like there is a lot of great conservatives here. We're just trying to figure out what the best way to move forward is. I mean, you uh, Representative Carpenter is doing such great work in ways and means. And what it's doing is it's kind of like it's giving us a vision to move towards. And so everybody has their role, whether it's policy or finance or budget or whatever, we're all moving towards a goal. And so I I think people should feel good that, you know, it's messy right now, but there's definitely, we're moving towards a a good fiscal plan. I feel really, really good about that. And I think Ben's going to, going to really solidify that this year, try to try to work on settling the permanent fund. And then there's there's a, the new people on finance, man, we're working hard. We're, we're, we're really we're really trying to hold the departments accountable and make sure they have the funding for the things they need and take away, you know, what we we deem not not uh, important. So I just want people to feel good about that. The majority is really working hard in the House. Right. Uh, we're, we're we got a good group of conservatives here and we work well together. So that should feel hopeful, especially with the, the past legislature. Well, it is good because I think the listeners have come to the conclusion um, grudgingly and with great consternation that up until now, there has just not been the political will to cut into the budget to the point that we need. And, and we've been crying about cuts on this program for 20 years. You know, I've always, I've always said what we have in this state is a spending problem, not a revenue problem, but they've had the spending problem so long that now it's become both a spending and a revenue problem. Right. I mean, that's the thing. And you were talking about, you know, changing the habits and changing the mindset of people. And that's something that needs to happen. We need we need to develop enough political will to cut into the budget. And I'm hoping that you're, the new batch of freshmen and folks like you will kind of turn that tide. I mean, it doesn't, yeah. we're, we're not going to cut our way to success right now because of the amount right. of deficit. But my God, if it's a $600 million deficit and we can cut $400 million out, it sure does make the job a lot easier in the long run. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So, yeah, and it's usually, except for your vacancy rate idea, it's usually not a big $100 million. You're cutting $400,000, a million, two million at a time. And right. it, it takes persistence. It takes homework. And, it, you know, you have to look at it like it's run, it, like running a business to make sure everything is as efficient <clears throat> as possible. So You should look at other states and find out if other states carry the same kind of vacancy rate ploy that that we're doing here, that that they're allowing that. That would be an interesting comparative uh, just to see, because I 
it it just boggles my mind uh the amount of money that's wasted in those kind of efforts um all right well julie again you got lots of kudos from the chat room this morning and we appreciate you coming on and we'll talk to you again maybe in a couple weeks okay all right that'd be great thank you so much for having me on well i appreciate you being part of it today thanks for uh, thanks for coming on and joining us and taking the time we really appreciate it julie colomb julie colomb our guest here on the michael duke show um all right well that means we're uh we're done for today we're done i'm headed up to fairbanks we're going to be doing the open north american championships uh on friday saturday and sunday so i'll be broadcasting from fairbanks tomorrow and uh we're just gonna have a great time so thanks for coming in thanks for being part of it uh remember again be kind love one another live well if you like the show don't forget you can support it by checking out the common sense core on patreon patreon.com slash michael duke show or going to the michael duke show website and clicking on join the core all right my friends out of time we will see you tomorrow ghost positions ghost positions man just think about that three four hundred million dollars oof shed our terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show